Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Danny, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and thanks for being with us on this Sunday morning for our worship service. It's really good to be together and to especially have the privilege, the freedom, the joy to be able to sit before God's Word, to read it together, and to study it. Um, it's really the best thing that we can do as, as a church, and so I'm glad to be able to do this together with you at this time. So this morning's scripture text comes from 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to actually be reading the entirety of the chapter this morning. But before I read uh, chapter 2, what I want to do first is get a quick catch-up session from last week, from chapter 1, uh, just in order for us to get a little bit of more context to understand why Peter is about to say what we're about to read. So if you remember, last week, Pastor Bill preached at the end of 2 Peter chapter 1, and in his sermon, he reminded us that the Word of God has to be central in our lives, that it's the only light for our lives. And Peter, he's writing to the church, he says, the Holy Spirit inspired these, uh, the, the writers of the Word of God through eyewitnesses to the gospel story, that this is not just some human interpretations written down on paper, but directly the Word of God. And so this week, I went back before preparing for this message and reread chapter 1. And I noticed that Peter has a really particular tone to him, almost like he's kind of antsy. He has an urgency about him. And he seems like he's really, really trying to implore those who are, who are reading, his listeners, hey, this is God's word. You need this in your life. Don't stray from it. And we'll see why Peter has this urgency with this message in, about, in what we're about to read. But I'm just going to spoil it for you up front. In short, it's because there are a lot of people, there are going to be and there already have been a lot of people in our lives who are going to try to turn us away from God's word. That's why Peter has such a sense of urgency in imploring his listeners, hold on to God's word tightly. And so let's read chapter 2 together. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has, been, has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes, and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, though they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. 
they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. Their blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They're experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mists driven by the storm. Blackness, blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness righteousness, than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to his vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. This is the the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together real quickly. Lord, we ask that you bring light to your word and that you stir up our hearts even our emotions, God, to make us have a deeper longing to know it, to hold tightly to it, and live by it more. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if in the new year or any time of the year for that matter, you've ever tried a Bible reading plan or committed to reading the Bible cover to cover, you know there are certain types of passages that you get to where you're just really tempted to just skim a little bit and go through really quickly. They're the ones that you get to them and you see a lot of, lot of paragraphs coming in your mind. You're like, do I really need to read this? It's okay if I skim this, right? You know, it's things like when you get to lists and lists of so-and-so had this many cows and this many sheep and this many goats. And this guy had this many horses and, and, or, or genealogies. Your mouth gets tired. It's like working out, trying to pronounce all these names that you're butchering of this person was a son of this person and this person. And this guy had this many sons and there were this names. And so I'm not going to encourage right now Bible cherry picking. uh, But at the end of the day, I don't think that it's going to hurt your relationship with Jesus and your walk in faith at all. If you don't read every single name in a genealogy or the number of horses a person had back in the day. Maybe sometimes it's okay to do a little bit of skimming. But the type of text we read today, I want to encourage the very, very opposite. For the rest of your walk with God, for the rest of your life as you read and study and pour over the scriptures to do the complete opposite, I want to encourage you to pause, to read slowly and thoroughly, and to give it your absolute fullest attention. What we just read is a discourse on false teachers from Peter. And he's not the only one who warns the church against false teachings and false prophets. This, is, this type of text is not foreign in the Bible. But I think as Christians, as followers, we, we don't seem to heed these warnings enough in our lives today, I feel. Sometimes I feel like it's when we get a new electronic device, like you get a new phone or you get a new laptop and you quickly rip open the box and on top 
there's like the manual, there's a warning um, uh, booklet on batteries and exploding and improper use materials and you quickly toss that all to the side in order to get to the good stuff, to get to the laptop, to open it up and play with it or the new PS5 or something like that. Let's not treat scripture that way and these types of texts that way where we quickly skip over all the warnings and get to the good stuff like when Peter talks about love or peace or harmony, things that we really want to read. It's important that we don't treat false teacher warnings in this way. And the reason why is my first point for this morning, which is because we are constantly exposed to false teaching. This is not a thing of the past. We are constantly exposed to it. Don't think of this like miracles. Oh, this happened way back in the day. No, this is happening right now. As I mentioned earlier, Peter has, has this urgency. He's telling his brothers and sisters in Christ, you need the word to be central in your life. And it's because of this. There will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, they, these teachers will exploit you with their fabricated stories. You'll notice from his opening the certainty and the guarantee of this reality. These are not things that are if they will happen, but when they will happen. They are happening right now. And the key phrase in this verse is, is, is at the end of verse 2 when Peter says this, they will bring the way of truth into disrepute. And the way of truth is another way of saying the gospel. This means these false teachers are anybody who's going to bring the gospel into disrepute. And is this not exactly what we're experiencing today? We live in a time with an outpouring. We're surrounded with disrepute of the gospel. And he continues, Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings, yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, they don't even do that. They don't heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning, unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. He says that these people, the type who are so proud and arrogant, they'll talk down on angels, on our heavenly beings, which are way more powerful than they are. How many people, whether on social media or in life or, I don't know, in a chat somewhere or in your comment section, have you seen people blaspheme God directly? They'll blaspheme in heavens and matters. They don't even know what they're talking about. So I'm sure this is obvious to us all at this point that this isn't like a prophecy where we're kind of looking out for the signs and wondering when this is going to happen. No, this is happening right now. It happens all the time. We are constantly exposed to false teaching in the way that Peter promised. But I feel the responsibility this morning to take it further than just that. We are more exposed to false teaching than ever before in human history. Ever before. Now, I have this pet peeve where a speaker, whether a pastor at a church or a lecturer at a school or whatever, an elementary school teacher, anybody, when we overuse always, forever, of all time. And so I thought really hard about it because I hate, I, I hate it when they use that without substance. And so is this true? And I thought about it. And so let me be clear about what I'm not saying. I'm not saying the world is worse than it's ever been before. 
that there's more sin than ever before, that we're doomed. I'm not saying that there are more false teachers or, or people who are antagonistic to God or to Jesus ever before. The world is broken ever since Genesis 3, a long, long time ago till today. I'm not saying it's worse than ever before. But what I am saying is that our exposure is higher than ever before. When Peter wrote this to the church, think about it. You had to be in the physical presence of somebody, of a false teacher, of somebody bringing disrepute to the gospel, of somebody spilling heresies or blaspheming about God. You had to be in the same room or face-to-face or be able to hear them audibly with your ears. It came down to proximity. Today, that doesn't matter at all. Today, they walk with us wherever we go. They live on our desks. They are in our pockets. They walk around with us everywhere we go. We literally never leave home without them. They're with us, for some of us, the first thing when we wake up in the morning, when we're rolling around in bed, they're with us in the workday and when we're distracted at work, they're in our downtime, on our commute, when we're pooping and sitting on the toilet, while we're working out at the gym. Any waking moment we have, we have exposure, soaking in content like never, ever before. And not that every time you look at your phone is bad. I'm not saying that either. But mixed into a lot of this exposure is or are messages that deny God, things that bring disrepute to the gospel and that, that even laugh at, 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 at the good news, things that are heretical, things from human beings who are definitely bold and arrogant in the way they, th- they speak about him, things that make us question our faith or weaken it, Things that make you question God's word and think, oh man, like, is that true? Things that bring doubt or division, hatred, and anger. It's all at our fingertips, in our ears, in our AirPods, in our car speakers, on our screens that we stare at. We are more exposed to false teaching, false teachers, false messages, things that bring disrepute to the gospel than ever before in human history. And because of that, My second point is that we're also constantly at battle between who is discipling us. See, many of us think that we don't have a mentor. Oh, I wish I had somebody to look up to, or I wish I had a mentor, or somebody discipling me. You do. (laughs) It just may not be a person that you want, or someone you actually have a relationship with, or somebody you know personally, but you have one or many, I promise you, you do. We all are being discipled constantly. The other day I was thinking about discipleship in the church and, and, and you know, if you've ever, I mean, I guess most of you haven't, but when, when you know, ministry teams or the pastors, we talk about the, the, the confusing puzzle of how do we disciple our people? It's hard, it's a difficult conversation. It takes discussing and planning and praying. It takes uh, buying different resources, reading books and seeing which one's the best one for our people. It's a lot of work and a lot of resources, time, money, energy, prayer. And you know what's really sobering thought that I, a sobering thought I had this week? You know who the gold or what the gold standard of discipleship is in the world right now? It's not a mega church. It's not the big Christian publishers. It's not a denomination or your favorite Christian author, the one that we all love to read. It's this. This is a discipleship professional like this world has never seen before. Our phones are amazing at producing disciples. Just not always the type that we hope for. Somehow, 
this invention that was started to, with the purpose of being able to communicate our voices to one another, it's transformed into a discipleship megagiant. It's changing people left and right. And if our country alone, we don't even talk about the world and the, and, and, and the political climate and, and January 6th that we just talked about, if you don't believe me, like look around at what the internet, how it's discipling people more than ever, ever before. All of this is because of constant exposure of content. We're being discipled and mentored and shaped and transformed. That's guaranteed. The question is not if, it's by who or what. And I feel this more closely in my life ever before because of how many Christians are shaping their view of the Bible based upon their changing worldview instead of shaping their worldview based upon their knowledge of the Bible. Are you shaping, is your view of the Bible changing and transforming and shaping because of your worldview right now? Or is your worldview constantly shaping and transforming? Are you being discipled because you study the Bible more than you did last year and the year before that and the year before that? Who's discipling you today? Who are you following right now with your heart? Who is the source of your transformation? Is it Jesus? Or is it something or someone else? Well, we know this if it's from the world. Because Peter says this about false teachers. He says, There's people are springs without water, mists driven by the storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. So imagine being in the scorching heat of the Middle East, of a Middle Eastern desert, and you, in the distance, you're, you're, you feel like you're dying of thirst. Maybe you literally are dying of thirst, and in the distance, you see a spring. So you run over to it to save you. It's promise of satiation, of life, of survival, of refreshment. And you run up to it and you look down and it's empty. No water. This is what false teachers do. It's a bait and switch. You feel led down to a path of greater fulfillment only to be left parched and thirsty. They're springs without water. He says they promise freedom when in reality they imprison people Verse 19 is like, ooh, like, like somebody could get like a tattoo of it. Like it's like a mic drop from Peter. He says, they promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. So poetic. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Now listen, I don't want to make this false teaching and for every time you read through a false teaching, pa- teaching passage from Peter or Paul or anyone else, always and only think about your phones and social media and the internet. It's not that alone, of course. But I am going to talk about it pretty much only today because we've definitely not addressed it enough, I think. It's not just the elephant in the room. It's a dinosaur. It's a planet. It's a universe in the room. Are we not, in a lot of ways, enslaved just in the way that Peter said? Think about it. They promise happiness. But Facebook's own study showed that unprecedented rates of anxiety and depression have come as a result of Facebook and Instagram. It was their own study. You could Google it after service if you, if you didn't read what, this, what announcement um, came out. It wasn't a, a competitor study trying to take Facebook down. 
it wasn't an independent investigation to audit Facebook. It was their own study. Their own study came to the conclusion that their product makes people depressed. But their business is not struggling right now, is it? They're doing just fine. That's crazy to me. To me, that sounds like substance abuse and addiction. You know that they're bad for you, but you have to go back for more. They promise connectedness to community, and yet everyone's talking about how lonely they are. And constantly I hear about how people compare their lives to others and how they don't measure up. And everyone's like, yeah, but Instagram, it's all photoshopped, and it's all fake. And we know that, but that doesn't seem to change how we feel about ourselves. With a couple of clicks, there's, we're like swimming in pools of toxicity. It makes pathways for sin easy. And so when I think about us in 2022, this is exactly what Peter was warning us about 2,000 years ago. Springs without water. Slaves to what has mastered us. Let us realize and acknowledge, church, that we're constantly exposed to false teaching. And we are constantly at battle between who is discipling us. And therefore, we need to band together as a community of grace and respond in two ways. Firstly, a community of grace holds fiercely to the word, the word of God together. We will only be a church on the right path if we are fully committed to studying the word of God and living by it together. This is what the church has to do. This is what Cornerstone is committed to. It doesn't matter who's in the seats. It doesn't matter who the pastors are. It doesn't matter who the LT is or who the ministry leader, whoever. As long as Cornerstone exists, the only way we're going to be on the right path is when a community of grace comes together and looks at, opens up God's word and say, are we following it correctly? Are we reading this right? How How are we able to pour into God's word as the only rule for why we exist? We've got to follow his word and hold to it tightly because a lot is going to come down like battering the doors and trying to get us. Could you use more of God's word discipling you today? Well, our phones have a lot of bad things, as I already mentioned, but there's also a lot of good things we can do. If you need more of God's word discipling you today, then let's try a few of these things. Let's watch sermon videos in the middle of the week. Maybe every Wednesday you can commit to watching a sermon. I thought about it. There have been generations of people who had to wait till Sunday in order to hear the word of God being preached. They could probably never imagine a world that we live in now. Generations, millions of people who have passed from this earth who had to wait till Sunday. Now we can, we don't have to wait at all. There's literally hundreds of thousands of hours of material online for free. We can listen to Christian Bible-based podcasts. If you have a commute or if you're a podcaster, what if you threw in something word-based into your rotation. Or let's do this together as a community. Ask friends to do a Bible study together or maybe a Bible reading plan. And many of us are intimidated when we ask people that or when people ask us because you're going to feel bad if you don't want to do it anymore. Just start with the month of January or February. Hey, or just a book. Hey, you want to read Mark together and we'll just end after that or reconsider whether to continue. We need the word in our ears, in our hearts, Frequently, frequently is the key word in order to be discipled by it. And secondly, a community of grace resists fiercely to the world together. Firstly, was, first was uh, we 
we uh, hold tightly to the word, right? We, we fiercely hold to the word together. But this second one is resisting fiercely to the world together. Church, we've given a lot of permission for people to speak into our lives, to disciple us and to change us when they have no business doing so. All of us, me too. Recently, there have been a lot of stories on this outrage of, about Joe Rogan's podcast, uh, particularly, particularly around the few things or comments he's made about vaccines and COVID and all that. And so there have been people, you know, protesting or, or uh, petitioning and telling Spotify to, you know, like take his podcast down and whatnot. And if you aren't aware, um, I know not everyone's a podcast listener. Joe Rogan is by far the biggest podcast in the world, by far. There's no, no one even close. Millions upon lis- millions upon listeners um, with every episode that he drops. And so this became a big story. And what catches my attention more than what Joe Rogan says about anything, COVID especially, um, is how many people are listening. It's really odd to me. It boggles my mind how many people receive their knowledge of what they know about all sorts of topics in life based upon a stand-up comedian, fear factor host, UFC analyst. So, you know, I don't like what he said about the vaccine either. And so, I, you know, people are all getting on his case. But honestly, before getting on Joe Rogan's case, a part of me is like, wait, but why do you listen to him? Why do we care about his opinion about vaccines? When a guy who specializes in Brazilian jiu-jitsu if he's like, hey, let me show you how to do an arm bar. I'm like, oh, okay, like I'm all ears. But if he wants to start giving me medical advice, I'm a little bit, I think it's kind of my fault if I listen to him more than listening to his crazy mumbo jumbo. Why does anybody care what he has to say about science? And then the next day he's like, oh my God, and he's officiating Francis Ngannou, like beating somebody up. Why are we listening to him? In the same vein, along the same vein, why do you, maybe you guys don't even know what I'm talking about or who Joe Rogan is. There's a TikToker or a brand influencer or a celebrity or a politician or somebody on your screen who's shaping your worldview and it might be, it might be packaged really nicely, but it could absolutely be what Peter was talking about, about false teaching, false teachers, people who bring disrepute to the gospel, who slander his name. Why are we letting all these random people, just because they have a blue check mark, shape our opinion of the world, the world that God created, the world that Jesus Christ died for? That doesn't make sense. So if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are a follower, if you identify, I am a Christian, we have some spring cleaning to do in our hearts, in our minds, in our content exposure and receipt of it. If our primary source about how we feel about the earth, about human sexuality, about politics, education, justice, self-esteem and self-worth, money and and markets, wealth and how you should use it, friendship, marriage, community, uh, abortion, human life, sex, you fill in the blank of the topic that is important in our living, in our being, in our communing with each other. If your primary source of your teaching and knowledge of these things comes more from your favorite politician's Twitter, your favorite blogger's uh, uh, posts, your favorite Instagram person's handle, 
than from God, the one who created all these things. If you believe the Bible is directly the inspired word of God, why are we going elsewhere and letting those things actually change us and change our opinions and make us different? When it's maybe a lot of false teaching. Church, Cornerstone, let's take away their permission. Let's silence voices that you don't need in your life. Let's not let people who have no expertise about the world that God created be the ones to teach us about his creation. Let's go to the source of all that is good, the one who loves you perfectly. And listen, he is the only one, the only one who has no agenda. He's got no conditionality, no false pretenses. There's no secret sponsors. He's not lured or pushed around by money and power. He doesn't use clickbait. He doesn't trick anybody and lure them in. His method, the way he captivates people, is loving self-sacrifice. He paves the way for us to come and to receive by spilling his own blood. He's the only one who loves you enough that he'd give up his own life because of your sin. Isn't he the most trustworthy and the only one deserving of the permission to lead our lives, transform our thoughts and our being and our hearts and disciple us? Isn't he the only one who deserves that right? So how do we resist the world? There's a few practical things. There are a lot of apps that we just need to delete on our phones. Maybe scroll through your phones today and see just what's just not good for you. And I'm not saying that these are objectively bad. Like if you have them on your phone, it's bad. But you know for your life if it's not good for you. Delete them. Maybe you don't want to delete them. You know, you feel nervous about it or you're like, it's not all bad. Yeah, you know, I agree. It's not all bad. Well, then let's be selective then. Let's have spiritual intentionality about who we follow and who we unfollow. Let's have spiritual intentionality about which we download and what we don't. Let's unfollow or or delete the things that bring disrepute to the gospel and start following the things that build you up. Unfollow any accounts that are springs without water, experts in greed, false teachers who promise freedom but keep you enslaved. We can also fast from social media frequently. You know, as I was writing this, I was like, Why do we only do that at Easter? Why do we only fast from social media during Lent? It's kind of silly. Fasting from social media only during Lent to me is like, you know when you're on your way to a dentist appointment and you're late and you're like swerving in traffic and you're flossing with one of those green stick guys? As if doing that once before your appointment is going to do anything. You're not tricking your dentist. Your gums aren't magically going to be healthy because you did one of the plastic sticks Why do we do that with with fasting from things that are good for us to withhold from every once in a while? Let's be aware of our souls and do that frequently. And friends, let's remember this is not a losing battle. Jesus has already won the victory and nothing is going to stand against his word. Nothing is going to thwart his plans. Nothing will keep his word from accomplishing the task that is set forth to do. But let's be a community of grace rooted in his word with an unwavering commitment. This battle is not for us to win. 
He already did it. But it is a choice we can make to stay rooted in His Word, His good, good Word for us in order to live the fullness of life that He has prepared for us. So let's do this together, Cornerstone. Let's be a community of grace that holds fiercely to the Word together and a community of grace that resists fiercely to the world together. Let's commit ourselves now in prayer. Lord, give us that strength that we need to hold to your word and to resist the world. We know that what Peter said many, many years ago has never ceased to happen. That there will be all levels of persecution towards your church, towards your word, and towards those who follow you. Some of it is just slander and snide remarks or making fun of or arguing and debating. And some of it is as terrible as imprisonment and even taking people's lives. This is not new, nor will this change, at least in this lifetime. So we ask for you to embolden and strengthen your church to stay steadfast in the light of the constant shifting sands of culture and the world. Let us not bend to pressure or be changed by the tides because we are rooted in the rock. You and everything that you are and everything that you say and teach us. Father, there's also the reality of churches misreading and misapplying your word and even using it for harm. We know that's happened in history and we know that anybody is capable of it. And so that's why we commit not to do it as individuals, not to do it as just a leader, but to do it as a community of grace, doing it together alongside one another with love and with accountability. And Father, I pray for your grace and mercy upon Cornerstone that you would keep us forever humble, forever knowing our station and our place, and always hungry. Hungry to know and to know and to know you more. We commit to this, to resist the world and to say that your word, O Lord, is the only rule, the only teaching, the only source of our discipleship. And so we resist the world together and we ask you to lead us as our shepherd. Because we know that the world may lead us to springs empty with no water, but you lead us to everlasting waters, springs of eternal life, that we will never be thirsty again. And so we open our hearts and our lives to you, and we open our church and our community to be a community of grace for and by and through you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.